Welcome to a bonus episode of the Hammer and Quill, a conversation, a retrospective about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. If you've been listening to season two of the Hammer and Quill, you know that we've been in the middle of a mini series on craftsmanship, and uh, we've had some really, really great guests uh, from um, Dylan Dent talking about craftsmanship and independent music making to Reed Monahan talking about crafting family traditions to Chris Barclay. By the way, Chris Barclay. Chris Barclay. Chris Bar. <laughs> That's right. I I I went I went what did I go Irish, Irish. for that one? Chris is a uh, shout out to Chris who's surely listening out there and I'm 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 getting a custom rod made by Chris. House wow. rod? A house rod, yeah. so to speak. I mean, I think that I'm paying for it, but so it's not, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm buying, I'm buying a rod from Chris. He's making it for me and it feels it's really special. Cool. Yeah. It's very special. That's still cool. Chris Barclay, who spoke about making, creating fly rods. And you know, our next mini series is on the future of theological training, uh, which is coming up pretty soon. So this is a bonus episode, one that we've been eager to record for months. We've been thinking a lot about the rise and fall of Mars Hill the Christianity Today podcast by Mike Cosper. And, uh, and so we wanted to get, get some folks here in the room today. And so let me do a quick introduction. You know, we've got here in the global, worldwide headquarters of the Bonhoeffer House, I'm joined by longtime friend, Dr. Reese Bazant. Reese, let me see if I can get all this right, Reese. You're a historian. I, I wrote it all down, so I should get it all right. Reese is a historian who specializes in American church history. Correct. One for one. He's a churchman. Correct. Who has served as a pastor and mentor to pastors, many pastors over the years. Yep. Has been a missionary on college campuses, now serves as the Dean of Missional Leadership at Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to the podcast. This is not your first time with that us, Reese, right. but we're, we're glad to have you Thank back. Thank you. It's great. It's great to be here. It's Reason. been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, and... I can't remember the date of of the last podcast I was involved with. It might have been three years. It's been a while. And in fact, was it on our podcast? It was, wasn't it? It wasn't just on the Gospel Underground. No, you interviewed me from Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, so it's been a while. But you're back. And you're in person. We're live in person. Well, we're live to For us. us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're embodied. We're embodied around each other yeah. in a particular place that's a real place that has air you can breathe and it's just not snowed. a meta place and it's, it's snowed and it's beautiful outside and we're all here except for the best of us holly who's only here virtually womp womp but i'm here so that's exciting you yes. are here in some sense virtually here joining us via zoom from her farm <laughs> the basement of my of my little farmhouse hiding away from my kids we are all we should have in our in our prayer before the podcast prayed that that no one joins me down mm -hmm. here but <laughs> that's okay that would be no, exciting the kids, the kids sometimes join in i i pretty much just keep them away from my study <laughs> <laughs> you know this morning we were having a a kind of new year's um uh well i don't know uh a time to think about habits in the new year. 
And so we do what we call our Bible book time at mm -hmm. eight o'clock every morning uh, during the week. And so we were doing our Bible book time and I, 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 I addressed the kids and I said, listen, kids, the last couple months has, it's just been crazy. It's been nuts. Uh, we've had a lot of family in, there's been holidays and Jenny had long COVID and was just worn out for two months. I said, it's like we're on this rope bridge between last year and this coming year. And if you guys go nuts, start jumping around, it's going to, it's going to really disrupt everyone. I need you guys to just stay on track. And so um, I said, what would it look like for you guys to stay on track? And Silas goes, well, we wouldn't fiddle fart around like we do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shout out to Wendell Berry. Which made me so proud because um, I do yell at them occasionally and say, would you quit fiddle farting around and get in here? Because uh, one of our heroes, Wendell Berry, in Jaber Crow, fiddle farting around is describing something. I don't even know what. Well, you kind of know. Yeah, you're just not doing much. In, so. in Australia, they'd say you're faffing about. Faffing about. But we you are leaving quite the legacy, Jesse. That's right. <laughs> I do what I can. Your kids yeah. don't, don't come in your study often, but our last staff meeting, we came into a, an elaborate business plan on word <laughs> for we don't know what they're shipping something across the world texas was really important. texas was important there were a lot of interviews you really have to <laughs> you have to establish establish yourself in texas if you want to do well <laughs> yes my daughter we'll find out in like 10 years yeah yeah they they created a business plan um yeah i don't know what they were selling but they got texas <laughs> Well, here we are, and uh, there may be a few little digital glitches because we're doing this on Zoom uh, with Holly, but we are excited to be sitting down together having this conversation. And you might be wondering, why are we, why are we even doing this? Why record? Is this, is this just like um, fan fiction? You know, is this like, uh, no, it's not. This is better, <laughs> better than fan fiction. We hope to help each other and you, our listeners, our friendos out there, think well about the story of Mars Hill. We hope to help the church leaders within the Bonhoeffer House and those of you outside of our house family to build churches that look differently, different, different than Mars Hill. We want to share some thoughts towards constructing churches that are beautiful, true, and good. And so uh, we're here, and I thought it might be good for us, for our listeners to hear a bit about our own experience and our own history with Mars Hill Mark Driscoll and or Acts 29. So why don't we start there? I think that's important. Uh, it might help set the stage a little bit for where we're coming from and, and uh, you know, what we thought about the podcast. So Holly, why don't you kick us off? You might have the least experience with Acts 29 and Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I came into true relationship with Jesus in 2009 so this was like kind of prime time for Mark Driscoll. Um, so his boldness and directness was encouraging to me in, in an eye-opening way. But I think that that was, well, I know that that was because, especially after listening to the podcast, was because it was in such a distant, you know, like um, best quotes on 
Facebook kind of thing, like listen to this one thing that he said that was really powerful. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't really, you know, follow him closely, but I do remember, I have a really distinct memory of sitting in my dorm room, my freshman year, listening to one of his sermons on song of Solomon and feeling really uncomfortable, like feeling like, wow, this is so vastly different than how, and I was a, I was a brand new believer, but still kind of felt that stirring in my spirit of the spirit in me, um, that something was off. And so, yeah, I still remember feeling, um, feeling uncomfortable with how crude he was talking about the topic of sexuality in a biblical way. So, um, Acts 29, the, the, two churches that I've been a member of since becoming a believer have been Acts 29 churches. And so that's been, um, you know, super transformative in my faith. But again, that probably, I can't remember when he stopped being president of Acts 29. Is it 2012? I think maybe a little before then. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. That was probably around the time where I started becoming a member at churches. So, you know, even trickled down thinking of which we'll, which we'll talk about, you know, the fruit of the flawed person, the, the Mars Hill as a church started um, the community, the online community for churches called the city. And that's, that was um, in working in a church setting was really powerful community builder. So um, yeah, that's, that's my experience. Good. Yes. You, so Michael, how about you? Um, pretty similar. Uh, Holly and I are same age, young and younglings, both both went to Virginia tech. Um, and it sounds like even became, uh, serious, sincere followers of Jesus around the same time. Uh, I would say I started following Jesus around my, my junior sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, and so then as I transitioned to college again, around, around 2009, um, so 2008, 2009, 2010 was, uh, first few years of, of really seriously following Jesus. Um, and I was a young college man who, or boy, (laughs) who, um, had a pretty voracious appetite for theology, um, and had a, a non-strenuous major. Um, so I had a lot of time on my hands uh, and a lot of curiosity about the Bible, about theology. Um, and so guys like John Piper, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, Mark Driscoll, um, there's probably a few more, but were I was finding any online content that you I could. You listen to a lot of my online sermons? <laughs> you know, Jesse Fury. No, I didn't. Um but I I was I was listening to I was listening to sermons um just about every day. Um especially if uh if I was able to stack my classes on like all on Tuesday and Thursday or all on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, my off days, I would just be uh, listening to sermons or reading. Um, and so I, I remember the famous, you know, Driscoll sermon, the, the one 
where he's he's screaming and and yelling how dare you um i i don't remember having you know a, a super visceral or, or or positive or negative reaction to it but I, I remember that sermon um so yeah uh you know he driscoll driscoll wasn't for me like he wasn't the go-to guy like i i wasn't finding all of the content i could of his it was more matt chandler for me but um, but nonetheless, you know, that, that group of, of Acts 29, um, pastors were, were influential in, in the early, uh, years of my following Jesus. Hmm. hmm. That, um, well, when I get to me, I'll talk about that sermon, that, that famous, who do you think you are sermon? Reese, how about you? Acts 29, Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill. Have all had a big impact in Australia. I've never been a fanboy of Mark. I've never listened to one of his sermons, for example. But I've read Vintage Church, and I was attending for quite a number of years an Acts Twenty Nine Church in Melbourne. So, I've been in circles that have talked about, have been listening to, have been reading him, uh, and that's and he's made a pretty big impact in Australia. So, you, but you are not never a fanboy. You never wore the puka shell ne- necklace and the <laughs> affliction t-shirts or anything like that. Uh, I don't think I know what that is, but I think you're probably right. right? <laughs> so, and I, I've not been a podcast guy really, so it's not like I've never listened to a Tim Keller sermon either online. So it's not like I was choosing not to listen to him, but was listening to others. It just wasn't mm. my thing. Mm. But uh, have been involved in lots of conversations about what Mars Hill is about, what it stands for. And, and the way that Australians have just assumed that Seattle being a pretty secular city in the United States is an equivalent of Melbourne or Sydney. But actually, Seattle's secular is nothing on Melbourne or Sydney's mm. secular. Right? So I think people have too easily transposed his lessons and just assumed that, yeah, we can listen to this profitably because he's like it's like us. Yeah. But actually, that that's to ignore some of the new ones. Seattle is not really Melbourne or Sydney. Mm. Good. So uh, I pastored, well, I pastored a church that was Acts 29. Um, so my own kind of story with uh, Mark Driscoll, I, I, I guess I was also never a fanboy. Um, but, I, but I have listened to sermons. I have recommended things he's preached. I have, it feels like a complicated history for me. And, and, uh, Thinking back to some of the times where I've said, "Oh, you should you should listen to the sermon series or um, read this book," um, you know, the the further and further. So my history with him would go back pretty early, uh, and I definitely the further along things got, became more and more uncomfortable. Uh, part of that was we, you know, we planted a church in 2010. And Brett Johnson, our lead pastor, he went to go to an Acts 29 assessment, 2010 in Louisville, Kentucky, and they just chewed him up. Like he left with, I mean, we had a team, we had a a leadership team, we had 15 or so of us who were already meeting. Um, You know, we were pretty far down the path of planting a church and, uh, and they, they weren't, they, they just, totally rejected them. They said, hey, well, they didn't totally. They said, uh, here's the total rejection. They said, we don't see the gospel in your life mm. after they had met him for a few hours. Right. 
and you need to shut your your thing down and go spend some time in an Acts 29 church. So he came back and he was like, well, we got to shut this thing down. Like, And we were like, why? Because mm-hmm. some people that don't know you spent you know, four hours with you and said, there's no gospel in you. Like, I think we're going to be okay. Let's keep going. Mm. So, um, so it was complicated. So we came back around to Acts 29, maybe seven years later, uh, sensing that perhaps the culture had changed significantly. And of course, at that time, Brett was, you know, he, you know, he was received with flying colors. The gospel was back in him. (laughs) 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 Um, but, uh, an almost identical situation happened to one of our church planters mm-hmm. where also we weren't contacted. We weren't involved as the sending church, uh, and mentors. Um, he was told weird things like you have too many mentors or you want to incorporate a team too much. And you really just got to do this on your own kind of stuff where we were like, well, we just spent the last five years training him the exact opposite. Like, yeah. So it became more and more clear that it, it probably wasn't going to be a good fit for us, even though we had rejoined Acts 29. So so we were Acts 29 from, I guess, 2018 to 2021, maybe 2019 to 2021, just a couple of years. And we are no longer Acts 29. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where, you know, I, I, I have a complicated history in part because I regret some of the, some of the, the ways that I recommended mm. Uh, Mark and Mars Hill and writings and sermons. Um, and so there's some regret there. There's also some sense in which, you know, uh, um, before 2012, we already so- sort of st- started steering away. Like, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this. Some of those same feelings that Holly, you mentioned about that, uh, that series he preached on the Song of Songs that, uh, Got him so much notoriety. Uh, oh, as a matter of fact, uh, that sermon, the uh, How Dare You sermon, I was leading a summer mission trip with crew. Uh, I was directing this trip in New Hampshire and uh, for a men's. So, so I delegated out to some of the staff, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. So, so there was a men's time and I didn't go to everything, yeah. you know, like I just didn't do everything. So yeah, I was like, you can't. Well, I could, but I didn't want to. <laughs> So, um, so I delegated men's time to a, a male staff person. And then I was like, all right, it's done. I don't have to worry about this anymore. This dude, this guy's competent. I can just focus on other things like balancing the budget. Um, and then I had a couple of guy students one night come to me and they were so mad <laughs> because for their men's time, the the other staff person had them just watch that Mark Driscoll sermon and basically watched it, turned and was like, well, <laughs> and they were like, well, that's ridiculous. And he's like, that's exactly right. You need to hear this more, you know? And so they came to me and I, and so I didn't really, wasn't that familiar with it. So I went back and watched it and I was just like, oh my gosh, how, why did, why was this show? <laughs> And so, um, you know, I had to navigate this sort of trying to keep these guys from quitting the summer project yeah. while not completely throwing the staff person under the bus. Um, and so that was probably about when I was like, yeah, I think I'm done with Mark and his, you know, his teaching. So teaching did you ministry. get the staff person and bring him up in front of all the guys and say, how dare you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> 
hey, so so now let's talk about the podcast. Let's talk about the rise and fall. It's a whole thing, right? It's a whole phenomenon. It at one point I think was the number three podcast, like in all of podcasts. in all of English speaking podcasts. Um, not just Christian podcasts, which is, which is wonderful, but also really scary to think about that that you know that this story. Um, Mm. was you know in the top five there's there's so much but i think um, we'll, we'll talk about it but cosper did a really good job of of balancing it but it's intimidating yeah. to think of how many people who listen to this are outside of um you know healthy christian churches and um healthy faith listen to this <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how many people's introduction to to the church in the West is through this podcast, or maybe not introduction? Right. I mean, most people are pretty familiar, at least in America. But but uh, how many people think, well, this is what churches are like? Mm. Um, you know, I, I think you, that's one of the things we'll talk about is how much did the podcast, as excellent as it is and needed as it is, cast a kind of um, shadow on all churches or all leaders? So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but this it is a whole phenomenon and and we won't go through and give you all the the kind of cliff notes of everything because we're assuming you are familiar with the podcast but i will highlight um these are the episode titles uh number one who killed mars hill and that uh mike cosper the the producer and host he sets kind of sets the stage he he explains, um, he really kind of casts out the, the story and then begins to open up, um, you know, five or six different paths that he's going he's gonna to follow. And, and um, in it, he says a couple of things which we'll circle around to, which is that, uh, that there's, in the midst of this tragedy, there's also the beauty of God and the gospel at work and people's lives being changed. And so you, throughout the whole story, you really get this, um, this contrast, this juxtaposition between uh, toxic, abusive cultures that have, that are really destructive, and yet beauty and goodness and and uh, lives being changed. Who kills? Who killed Mars Hill? Second was Boomers, the big sort, and really, really big churches, uh, tracing some of that whole kind of mul- uh, mega church movement and how much it affected Mars Hill. Third was you read the Bible, Ringo, which uh, I think was mostly about the church planting world and the kind of um, the type of person you had to be to plant a church in the in the '90s in Seattle's, you know, the mean streets of Seattle, so to speak. Uh, number four, I am Jack's raging bile duct, which was where Cosper made the connection between Tyler Durden from um, Fight Club Fight Club, and Mark Driscoll and began to really get into a little bit of the William Wallace to um, uh, message board comments. Number five, the things we do to women, which was perhaps the most depressing of all the episodes. Um, number six, the brand, and uh, where we heard Mark famously say or reported on Mark saying, I am the brand which I do say more than I care to say for the Bonhoeffer house. (laughs) Number seven, state of emergency. Then it kind of turns, right? Number seven is where it starts to ramp up. Like things are starting to fall apart. They're doing this sort of, uh, um, this kangaroo court trial and, and, and kicking out elders. Number eight, demon hunting, 
which was just simply wild. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Maybe. Number nine, the Bobby Knight problem, where we get a kind of side sideline uh, episode where we looked at Bobby Knight. Number 10, Red Sky at Morning. Number 11, The Tempest. And number 12, The Aftermath. There were also three bonus episodes. I Kissed Christianity Goodbye with Joshua Harris. Questioning the Origin Myth, which was a short one. Um, and Boca Raton's, Raton's? Raton. Boca Raton's Church Planting OG. Reese, that means original gangster. <laughs> I rep. I rep. <laughs> <laughs> About David Nicholas and the Spanish River Church Planting Network. Why don't, rather than go through each one of those, and uh, why don't we just do this? Why don't we start out with what we love? Let's. Let's just talk about the beauty of this podcast. Anything beautiful about the story? I'm going to kick this to Holly first. What was most beautiful about this podcast and about the story? Well, I think that um, Mike Cosper is just an incredible storyteller. Um, the way that he um, told the story and and not him just telling this story, but incorporating the voices of those who are, you know, dealing with the traumatic implications of what the story meant to real lives instead of just us as listeners. Um, you know, parts like we talked about, parts of this have affected us on a very distant scale, but, you know, it's very traumatic for church members who lived it. And so I, I just appreciated his storytelling. I would say the most, the most beautiful thing, um, about the story was that he never failed to remind us of how God can do good things with flawed people. Um, and, um, not as a, you know, not as a justification of the way that Driscoll acted or the things that he led others toward um, and other leaders in the church, but as a exploration and um, a recognition of God's grace and how he can use flawed people for eternal impact. Um, you know, just recently in our church, uh, a church member shared her testimony and she came to know the Lord and in true relationship with Jesus because of listening um, to Mark Driscoll. And that's beautiful. And there's countless stories of that. And so it's really complicated. It's all so complicated because um, God, you know, we, we've been coming out of the Advent season, looking through Jesus's lineage, you know, from the beginning, God has used flawed people, um, for fruitful things. And so, yeah, I think that that overarching concept was the most beautiful thing to me. That's good. Can I kick this to you, Reese, and ask a follow-up question to what, what Holly was talking about? The idea that, um, even in the midst of such, uh, um, brokenness and even wickedness that, God still works. Um, now, we're not addressing the question of whether or not the ends justify the means. That, that We can pick that up later. But how does that help us understand? I wonder if it does help us understand uh, a, a, even a relationship to uh, 
heroes of old. You know, when we think about people who mm. like Calvin may have um, been angry, been angry. Yes. Or, uh, or recommended that the, like Luther, that the, um, the authorities killed all those peasants or, you know, burned down synagogues. Yeah. Right. Burned yeah. down synagogues. How do we, how does this maybe help us? I know Cosper actually addresses this in the end, essentially saying, mm. well, Mark Driscoll is no, is no Martin Luther. Right. But I wonder though, if, um, there might still be something for us as we look back, mm. uh, not just back 15 years, but back, you know, 500 years yeah, sure. and the complicated kind of relationship we ought to have with historical figures. Yeah. And Holly's exactly right. Uh, the old saying is God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. So God can actually do something that's good, even though the situation is awful. But interestingly, in classes that I teach at Ridley, history classes, this has become more and more of an issue. So people, when they discover that thing about Luther or that thing about Edwards, uh, tend to close down. Yeah. Uh, there's been some significant conversations in the last few years in class where people have reacted really strongly and have almost not wanted to kind of uncover the the contribution they make, even though there are other the good contribution they make, even though there are also kind of ugly contributions. So I'm if I've got my historical glasses on, then I'm saying, yeah, of course, of course, there's going to be people who've been touched positively through Driscoll's ministry because there were many other people in the church other than Driscoll. And that you can even preach something good, even if you're a sinner, right? And that's a given. So I hope so. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I want to I want to acknowledge that God can have drawn a, a straight line with a crooked stick in the ministry of Mars Hill, but that doesn't dismiss his sins or Luther's sins. But it does mean we have to be careful uh, not to judge people historically with criteria from saying now I know Driscoll is kind of contemporary He's to contemporary, us. Yeah. yeah. But but we we do have to nonetheless learn to make fine distinctions rather than just pitch everything together and and make an ugly stew of it. That's good, yeah. And I, I think um I think Driscoll's right that that or uh, sorry, I think Cosper's right. We'll cut that. I think Cosper's right that Driscoll is no Luther. There, there's there's differences, but I think it's more for the reason of what you said, Reese, which is that um, uh, Driscoll's our contemporary, mm. and so we're better suited to evaluate Driscoll with our. Uh, mm-hmm. He he has the same um, the same kind of cultural presuppositions that we have. Mm-hmm. Whereas Driscoll would have been an entire, or Luther would have been an entirely different world, an entirely different way of viewing the world and living in the world. And yeah, to a degree, it might be that he doesn't share all our cultural uh, predispositions or assumptions. That is, we might live in the same world, but we might still have different assumptions about how ministry works or how culture works. Sure. So, Sure. Yeah, and I think that that becomes clear in the mm-hmm. podcast that mm-hmm. that as far as Mike Cosper is concerned, there's some significant differences. I I was thinking more in, in terms of uh, what Lewis warns about in his introduction to Athanasius's on the incarnation, that where he kind of provocatively says, uh, doesn't he say um, Hitler and Churchill will end up having more in common? Uh, 
you know, 500 years from now, as people look back, because the, we all share the same, even though they're mortal enemies, and mm-hmm. and at what when Lewis is writing, um, the kind of overall worldview, the o- overall kind of Im- imaginary of wh- who we are and how we exist in the world, are much more shared between them than say between Churchill and Aquinas. Or um, anyway, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the professional historian here. <laughs> How about any other beautiful things about the podcast or the story? Yeah, this when you when you had you, a hard time. I with had this a hard one. time with like this question. Nothing. <laughs> the music, the music was great. The music was great. I loved how he uh, ended each episode with. He must. You know, they must have the budget for the music. Uh-huh. That's why they had to sell all those advertising yeah. <laughs> advertisements. <laughs> Sponsored by Grove Collective and. I did really appreciate that he tied he he tried tried to choose songs that tied in with in the major themes of um the episode but uh i I think um the resilience of God's people was beautiful to me um that's good. obviously not every story not every person he interviewed had a story of resilience and perseverance in the faith um and that's really it's deeply sad um but uh a lot of them did and and uh even even towards the end of the podcast we got to hear a little bit about um the churches that came out of mars hill that persevered and that are continuing continuing to work i would have loved to hear more um about those churches but um so i think that was really beautiful and and compelling to me that um there, there are a lot of people who, who persevered through the wounds and through the difficulty and through um, even the in, internal conflict of, of doing damage and being part of wounding themselves um, to remember that the, the power and, and uh, the beauty is located in in the gospel and in the person of Jesus, um, not in their particular, uh, church culture, not in, not in even the, the particular movement that they were a part of. Um, so I, I, that was beautiful to me. I'm, I'm hopeful that many of those people were able to come to grips with their time at Mars Hill, were able to, um, repent where they needed to repent, heal where they needed to heal. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Reese, anything you want to add to the beauty of the podcast or the story? No, I don't, th- I don't think so. No, the, the series, the, the series of podcasts was on the whole earth on the ugly side, right? <laughs> yes. So, so I look back on it and I, I recognize the redemptive stories that were, were told but my ch- my abiding memory or feeling from listening to the podcast was was not on the beautiful side. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Yes. So Agree. so I yeah that's right. My 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 experience bordered on uh, deep sadness and my own anger mm-hmm. back and forth for the most part. Um, with some just straight up confusion, like what in the world was happening. Uh, hmm. Which, if I'm honest, and I look back at myself, I probably have the same experiences about some of my own uh, journey. But 
Um, I'll just double down too on the beauty of the of the production of the the art. Yeah, Cosper uh, has produced a beautiful um, artifact, art of timeless almost artifact that. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the music in particular. I was thinking, and I, I don't. It sounded like every song he picked. I was like, oh, I like this song. But um, when I was when I was growing up. Michael and Holly won't remember this, but <laughs> we used to make mixtapes for people. Not, I do, not, I not, do remember. I'm not that. I had <laughs> no, 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 no. I had a mixed CD. You, yeah, you burn CDs with Napster. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. I know about. I know about recording over a tape. Yes, with the like the radio. I know about that. Yes. Okay. So, and here's the thing about <laughs> making mixtapes. It's different from just burning CDs off of Napster. Uh, it, it it requires so much thought because you have to catch the song just right. You've, you've got to cue it up just right. And and so um, I remember there being like we would make themed mixtapes. So this mm. is a road trip to, you know, uh, we're going on a road trip to Luray, Virginia to go camping. Well, we need a camping mixtape. And then like for weeks leading up to that, it's you're you're trying to find just the right music that put you there that you can listen to while you're there. <laughs> yeah. And then when you go back, you re-listen to it and it brings you back, yeah. right? And yeah. so I thought I thought the way that he he w wove uh transitions, music uh into the into each particular episode was it reminded me of that. Like he's yeah. creating 12 or 15 different mm. um and he uses suspense really well to he does. holding back information or holding mm. back conversations which so so there's a sense of intrigue as you progress i got into the next one good okay let's yeah. uh well just <laughs> on that we I, I can't remember what podcast it was or, or maybe it was just a discussion that we were having as house staff but we noted that uh sticks and stones by king's kaleidoscope will never be the same like it's no longer an independent yeah, I joke song. that that's the theme song that they made for the podcast, which is which is a kind of true. Yeah, but it, well, they did make it. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, Chad Gardner did not write it for the podcast, but he wrote it, you know, with his own background in Mars Hill. That's right. Um, but it's that intro is so brilliantly mixed together. Yeah, when I hear the song now, like when I just hear the song, yes, I'm like, hmm. where's Where's Mike Cosper? Yeah, Where's Mark Driscoll? You like add him in. Yeah. Like, this is the part where he says, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, sorry to King's Kaleidoscope that your song, song is. You guys make great music. <laughs> yeah. All right. Reese, one of the things I think Cosper did well was weave together not just uh, suspenseful storylines, but overlapping um, kind of... Uh, influences right there's theological influences there's sociological missiological historical the influences of internal relationships external relationships and so i was wondering if you being so you know more about american church history than any of us and i wondered if you might help us think about where mars hill and mark driscoll and uh and the, that whole story fit into the flow of american church history so one of the great things about the early episodes, particularly I think in the series, was that you were learning not just about Mars Hill, but learning as well about uh, a broader cultural themes. 
So why was Willow Creek planted? What can yeah. it say about America in the 80s? And so you're, you're not just atomizing Mars Hill, but setting it within a bigger historical context, mm. which I think was really great, and especially in the, in the first half of the series. And Cosper uh, touched on money and American evangelicalism and gender and American evangelicalism and missiology. So he, he weaves bigger theological themes into the episodes, even if the episode isn't precisely about that, although sometimes it was. Right. So I, I really appreciated that and thought that he worked hard not just to speak about this particular church, but to address bigger themes in American evangelicalism. But if you stand back further than those bigger themes, there's, in my estimation, so many similarities between the turn of the 21st century and the turn of the 20th century, 100 years earlier. And you can see some of the themes in American evangelicalism 100 years ago repeating themselves now. Interesting. So 100 years ago, there was a movement called muscular Christianity. Uh, evangelicals were concerned about men being less like men because they were working in factories or they were working in offices. So Christians kind of doubled down on trying to work out how to help men be men. So they invented... Uh, basketball and volleyball in Massachusetts and they kind of helped rekindle the Olympic Games and they created the huh. YMCA and uh, evangelical Christians were involved in all these in all these movements but the end of the 19th century also saw great fractures in American politics no president was re-elected in the in the from the 1880s to turn the 20, 20th century yeah we knew that Go ahead. <laughs> Grover Cleveland got two terms, but they were not back to back. Yeah. So, so, so the politics of the period was much like the politics of the present day: great conflict huh. uh, um, and division, and all of it was about how do people find a unified sense of self in a fragmenting society? How do people think of what it means to be whole? Mm. But I think that's exactly what's happening in the last 10, 20 years. We're asking questions again about what it means to be whole as a human mm. being. Mm. Our societies are fragmented. And I think what, what, what Driscoll did, as many Christians have done, is that you highlight the human will. And if you can only express your will powerfully, you'll feel alive, you'll feel whole again. And that, I think, can be a danger, prioritising the human will. And Driscoll said it, but others, heaps of others have, said, have talked about manning up, which really means making hard decisions. And I just think that's a really impoverished way of thinking about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a Christian. Mm. The, interestingly, at the end of the 19th century, the big picture for, what, for the culture and what was pushback against uh, uh, American culture in the 19th century was the image of the volcano. And I think in the, the, the quote you've been giving about uh, how dare you, you kind of feel Driscoll's a bit like a volcano. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so even the picture that tries to capture what people wanted at the end of the 19th century is not a whole lot different from what people want to do. There's a whole lot of different cultural pressures, of course, but still people are trying to find that sense of self that, connects all of me and often it's assumed that just expressing your will powerfully will make you feel whole again but actually 
if your will is working against your soul, your heart, your mind, then actually you're just fragmenting things more. And I think Driscoll's ministry has seen a whole lot of further fragmentation, even though I don't think that's what he was trying to do. That's so interesting. So so we got the volcano. We've got the expression of will and the, the kind of... Um, uh, uh, by expressing will, I take, I have agency, I have mm -hmm. personhood, which may, which does explain, I mean, it, one of the things I think Cosper does really well is revisited how, just how much of a um, phenomenon Driscoll was, especially with young men. Mm -hmm. um, and so perhaps it was more than just what Driscoll has since said, which was, it's a bunch of guys with father wounds uh, who wanted someone to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was related also to um, being called up into, you know, manning up, so to speak, to express will and mm. muscular Christianity. So, so at the turn of the 20th century, what was the, what was the kind of cultural, uh, you you mentioned that there was a shift. It was it was from you said factory jobs to to office work. Well, it was from farms to okay. factories to office work. Yeah, and so the concern was that there would be a, a loss of identity. People weren't using their bodies anymore, right? And that somehow makes you less whole. Mm. But what they also did at the end of the nineteenth century was highlighted the importance of being warriors, mm. taking up medieval kind of stories uh, and the warrior stuff has been big for driscoll yeah that's not, remarkably not, similar yeah uh, <laughs> uh, i'm pretty sure the guy carries like a ar-15 around his nowadays now yeah i'm not kidding i don't know what that is big gun <laughs> <laughs> big old gun <laughs> and also the, the the end of the 19th century because the powers of american capitalism were so so enormously influential People had to be bigger than life heroes to resist that kind of the pressures they were under. So, so one of the, the the ways that American Christians responded was to highlight the importance of the saints, that mm. is, those big Christian heroes that you follow. That kind of f f fits into this story as well. This is where we get Teddy Roosevelt and the kind of larger than life rough riders and correct, warriors. Correct. And he left behind the Christianity and just kept the muscular. Kept I think. the muscular. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah, thanks. Should, thanks for that, Reese. Yeah, one thing you should know about America is we're not fractured at all. <laughs> no. Everybody gets along. We. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've heard anybody argue about anything. <laughs> Everybody just agrees with each other about masks anyway we're gonna move on are you telling this to all of the australian listeners that's right we assume we have <laughs> we have a, a a large uptick tick in australia things are great over things here, are australia. great okay <laughs> and um we have ar-15s <laughs> and we don't argue at all you so, know that that meme of the 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 guy sitting in a chair with a cup of coffee and there's fire everywhere. Fine dog. Like everything yeah. is fine. Yeah, everything is fine. fine. That's it's what's fine. happening here. I can't imagine. I can't count how many times I've used that the past few it's weeks. <laughs> this is fine. So who did kill Mars Hill guys? 
how, how are we to understand what happened? Um, or, or let me put this another way. Are you guys satisfied with Cosper's conclusions? I'll kick us off here. I'll say this. Um, I started the whole series and he got me that first episode. He really hooked me because if you would have asked me who killed Mars Hill before the podcast came out, I would have said that's easy. Mark Driscoll did. But in that first episode, he really kind of opened the door to, well, well, was it just Mark Driscoll or was it uh, what 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 is it about us that makes us want someone like Mark Driscoll? Mm -hmm. What is it about us that contributes to the culture where uh, where we get the heroes, the saints who are muscular Christians or, uh, um, you know, volcanoes? And so that really hooked me. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't. uh, Yeah. So I'd say I'd say in the end. I felt a little bit unsatisfied because uh-huh. I felt like it started as who killed Mars Hill. Maybe we all did. And it ended with who killed Mars Hill. No, it was Mark. And, and, <laughs> and so, and which again, if at the beginning it was, well, Mark, this is the story of Mark Driscoll killing Mars Hill. I would have been like, okay, but maybe I wouldn't have listened. So maybe that's the brilliant yeah. thing <laughs> of it. But, uh, but I felt in the end a little bit like, you know, I don't know that that really, um, uh, had the payout I was hoping it would have for my own participation, my and not just me, but you know the other leaders of the church. Um, so you know, what do you guys think? I'm not even answering the question. I'm yeah. just saying <laughs> I was a little bit unsatisfied. And I, I, I agree that in the end of episode one is uh, provocative, very provocative. Uh, he ends with the Ag- Agatha Christie murder on the Orient Express illustration. Maybe we all did. Maybe we all did it. Yeah. Um, and so you you end episode one with this sense of eagerness and anticipation of like, where's this going to go? Um, I will say uh, I, I re-listened and I only got about halfway through in my re-listen. Um, but in the first half of, of the podcast, he does, Cosper does a very good job of bringing in all of the context um, that we just talked a little bit about, the historical context, social context, theological context, um, even, even the con the missional context of these, these big churches coming into existence, Mm -hmm. the turn of the generation, uh, churches in America wanting to make sure that they are still reaching people, um, and needing to learn new methods of doing that backing Driscoll because he's innovative and, and bold and, um, so I feel like Cosper did a very good job, at least in the first half, of painting hmm. painting the context in such a way uh, that you understand how a guy like Driscoll could get spit out of of the machine of of his context, um, which obviously doesn't excuse him, doesn't doesn't justify the the wounds or the damage that was done, but at least gives you a sense of like. Oh, this wasn't this wasn't one guy who just had a vision of I'm going to become the the biggest pastor in America and and you know the the famous bus quote I'm going to run over however many people I need to along the way like I I you got you got the sense of he didn't necessarily start there because of uh, the work that that Mike did um, in in 
developing and, and displaying all of, all of that context. So, in I other words, I don't know. In other words, <laughs> I'm wrong. I should be satisfied. Mike did, yeah. Cosper did explain a lot he about did. how we got. But I, I he did. And, uh, and this is why I'm saying I wish I had gotten to re-listen to the second half as well is my memory and maybe it maybe you've just poisoned my my memory jesse but my, my i have a tendency to do that <laughs> but my memory of the of the last four episodes in particular is is that it takes a turn away from all of that um all of that context away from all of the work that's done in the first uh, six or seven episodes and zooms in on just how bad things got the closer you were to Mark. Um, and so it does, it does feel like the podcast turns and ends in a, in a place of, um, like if you're taking the end of the first episode, maybe we all did it. It, it feels like it turns to like, yeah, maybe we all did it, but like, the, the, we sent, really know who did it. The, the, the ground zero of this thing was Mark. There might be multiple factors in he, the way he emerged, but someone's got to ignite the kindling, right? Right. So eventually, you might you might want to say, yeah, it, it wouldn't have ended the the same way if a different guy had been spat out of that kind of cultural vortex. Yeah, that's right. And I wonder, I wonder, um, Holly, I'd love to hear from you in a minute. I lo I wonder too, as I as I think back over it, if there aren't degrees of culpability, you know, there's the, there's the kind of, um, uh, epicenter, the, the, the mouth of the volcano, so to speak, where, <laughs> where, um, you know, maybe, maybe Mark is the epicenter and then surrounding him might be some of the, the, the men in leadership positions that protected him from criticism and did what he wanted them to do in order to basically f keep shoring up his own position. And then, and then working out, there's, there's church members that just kept going and tithing. And then, and there's some degree of participation in, in that, I think. And then there's us, there's me who bought a, bought a few books and, and, and fed some numbers to the, to the, uh, the online numbers of views, which all contributed to kind of keeping him in a position where he might continue to grow his platform and, but it doesn't mean we're all equally culpable. Right. I think he I think you're right. He does he does show that. Holly, any thoughts about who did kill Mars Hill? How do we understand what happened? I don't I don't think I have any any additional thoughts. I agree with you guys. Um, again, I can't I can't say it enough. It feels so complicated. Can we say Satan killed Mars Hill? The fall? Well, you know, he didn't Genesis even, he didn't three blame him. the devil. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't let us get away with that one. Yeah. It's true that in the modern world, you, you don't build things or change things unless there are lots of networks working with each other, overlapping each other. Yeah. But you still need to, someone to draw the networks together or to make some kind of synergy out of the networks. So, I mean, historians talk about the kind of social influence is important and the old theories of in, individuals, strong individuals, which once upon a time all history was written about but i think you've got to have both right you, in the modern world is full of networks but the modern world also needs individuals 
to catalyze the networks. Yeah. It's not one or the other. Mm. That's right. James Davison Hunter and his To Change the World talks a lot about how the, the world's changed by those networks of cultural elites who are just outside of the of the centers of power, in which case Mars Hill and and, uh, and Mark Driscoll fit that perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. They're not they're not in um, they're not in New York City and Manhattan, they're in, or or maybe the centers of power in Christian American evangelicalism mm. might be more related to publishing companies or um, or the South. They're not in Texas, but uh, but I do think I do think there's I think you're right, Reese. And in, in, um, what does Malcolm Gladwell call those people in a uh, what book is it? Tipping points. Tipping points. He calls them ma yeah. mavens. Yeah, that's right. Mark Driscoll's a maven. It sounds kind of fun to call him a maven. <laughs> he probably wouldn't like it. You know, I'll say this: uh, as far as as long as I, let me let me vent another uh, dissatisfaction. <laughs> I I'm I, I don't. Why am I not happy more? <laughs> <laughs> this podcast just took an intense turn. <laughs> well, Jesse. Therapeutic turn. <laughs> Uh, so one of the things I would have loved more of in the end, I do agree that, um, in terms of the subject matter, I thought Cosper did a phenomenal job showing how God still worked. Mm -hmm. And I think the last, I do think the last two episodes were, it's not really fair to think of them as two episodes. It was five hours, right? You know, it's about half of almost half of the entirety of the podcast. So about half of the entirety of the podcast was given to really watching kind of rubbernecking at the, at the explosion of it all. Like, like here's front row footage of the volcano erupting on everybody. Hmm. And so I think I think maybe I, I'm not sure I could put my finger on why that felt dissatisfying. Um, perhaps I just wanted some payoff. I wanted some cathartic uh, release of my my angst. I think maybe you know I I don't think I wanted to have more stories of like, but it's okay because look at all the good. I I don't think I wanted that. Right. But I I do wonder if we could have heard from more more of the folks who have picked up the pieces, uh, maybe less of the people, not, not, not more of the people who were like, well, I made it through and, and God used that anyway, but more of the people who are there now, um, who are, who are, who are doing work. In, in other words, I would have loved not for it to be like, well, it's okay that it all happened because look, some good came out of it, but maybe a higher view of God and his providence being worth trusting mm. that's what it is reese tell me why i'm wrong <laughs> no i don't think you're wrong uh, the way i'd the way i'd phrase it is so often we want impact or we want legacy and i just think if that's the fundamental mindset we come to ministry with that we want legacy or we want impact then we've done something real something very very foundational is has gone awry so i was just looking this morning at number of contemporary songs or albums produced by christians that have the word legacy in the title of the album i was shocked whereas you wouldn't have got this in old hymns right i don't think we use the word legacy when charles wesley or isaac watts wrote hymns but so many songs contemporary songs christian songs use the word legacy mm. and i just think 
it's not it, it, we trust ourselves the province of god it's not our job to create a legacy whether it's because we buy a place on the new york times bestseller list or because we have this many views and so one of my personal mottos is uh faithful then forgotten because mm. i don't think i should be imagining that my job as a christian is to be remembered <laughs> well, i'm written in the book of life what's more right I, mm. I, I don't need to even think like that can i can i can i tell you something that will i don't know if it's going to make you happy or really angry who <laughs> <laughs> reese <laughs> but brett and i say that all the time and i forgot where we heard it <laughs> <laughs> it's working reese <laughs> I think I'm happy. <laughs> All the time we talk about, listen, you just, it's just about being faithful than forgotten. <laughs> That's so messed up. Oh boy, it's working. <laughs> you have no legacy. <laughs> uh, I kid, you've got at, a great legacy. At least but... you didn't claim it. Or did you? Well, That's, that's well, the question. <laughs> it's like I always Let's move say. On. <laughs> Holly, have you, you heard them use this language? I feel like I actually have heard them say that before. No, don't, don't start trying to just throw me under the bus <laughs> just because you want to you know, put me in my place. <laughs> oh, man. As he you know, says, as he keeps, I'm on the outside of the street. He keeps positioning this world's best boss mug like <laughs> so that I can read it. And he's holding it up. <laughs> he keeps moving it so that I can read it. It's the little things that give you away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, let's move on. Let's That's move on. that is a, a a really great point, though. Yeah, that Reese is sharing. Why should we? Why should we ever want? A I don't know if I like what you're what you're saying, Reese. <laughs> you don't have to like it. I know. I, I'm so unsatisfied with so much. I thought I've th always thought a lot about legacy. What's wrong with me? So, <laughs> uh, in a sense, you could think about legacy in terms of wanting to see churches in a city or churches in a city or in a region kind of build up, thriving. Right. But to place a name against it, or to insert pastor's name rather than lord jesus it drives me crazy when people ah. speak about this pastor's church well no it's actually the lord jesus church he happens to just be there temporarily right but we do that all the time and uh big note the pastor big note the pastor mm. was that's that a, good was that a translation for your yeah. listeners? yeah so, i mean so in in the podcast itself it i i don't know when the the shift happens, but Driscoll statedly is aimed aimed at being, you know, the pastor who the prays at the prayer yeah. breakfast and aimed at being the pastor who has the largest church 50, in America. 50,000 members. Was that um, the goal? Was that the goal? Well, yeah. it turns into the goal. So I, I do think Cosper does such a good job of showing how it didn't start this way. Right. Um, so, so do you think that is... Uh, a, a really key vital part of what ended up rotting the kind of the core of, of, of the church is, is that the, the goal or, or the emphasis shifted from, yeah, well, I, I don't know the story of the church particularly well apart from the podcast, but it's, it's very easy 
to use personality to hold big movements together. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me. And I, I'm not in a position to speak to his psychology or right, what right. makes him tick, but which re relate relates to one of our next questions. If you're, yeah, good that's to go what there. I. Yes, that was a great transition, Michael. I was about to make the same one. So related to to, to personality holding together movements or churches, why do you guys think the church in general? Why why do churches continue to platform leaders whose uh, charisma outpaces their character. So that's one of the themes Cosper revisits throughout. I thought maybe you were going to say, it's like I always ask. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Isn't this true, though? It's not just a Driscoll problem, right? Um, well, where... I'm, I'm curious to ask of Reese, is, do you think this is a, a global problem? Or, or an American think, problem, yeah, or a Western problem, or a Western problem. So I, th it, it 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 happens everywhere. But there's something about American evangelicalism which isn't housed. It's it's more free floating, mm. uh, and not housed within historical denominations. That that allows American evangelicalism to express itself more around significant charismatic leadership. Mm. Whereas in Australia, it happens, sure it happens, uh, but evangelicalism might be housed in more traditional denominations like Presbyterianism or Anglicanism. So that does take the edge off it, hmm. I think. Yeah, so I wonder, you know, in many ways, uh, American evangelicalism has been, um, uh, and maybe this is overstating it, but has been located less in terms of institutional structures and more in terms of Billy Graham or uh, other famous figures who, who kind of unite, right? Even T4G is a great picture of this, where you get these, um, these four leaders who all represent different denominational uh, ecclesiological commitments, but they come together for the gospel, which is defined in a particular way by them. And, and then it's like, well, this is what we're, we're part of this group. And it's it doesn't really matter if you're Anglican or, you know, Presbyterian or Baptist, as long as you are part of this sort of uh, evangelical culture. And so, so I do wonder that that does seem particularly American, mm. or or at least more so than um, than outside of America. Although it's probably not only true of us that we want our celebrities. No, and and in Britain and in Australia, the Keswick movement. Yeah. has run big conferences and they've had notable speakers come with people from all denominations attending. So it does, it's not I'm saying that it doesn't exist outside yeah. of the US, but there are particular dimensions of that within the US that have proven kind of difficult or disastrous, actually. Mm. You know, as a contrast to, uh, to the rise and fall, uh, or maybe, you know, I, I don't mean to say that it's, it's contra It's actually, I think, right in line with the rise and fall. Um, I want to recommend Godspeed, which is a little 30, 35 minute documentary film about a pastor and uh, who leaves Regent College in Vancouver to go to Scotland and uh, do some studying there, I, I think under N.T. Wright, and then takes up a couple of parishes up in the, up in the Highlands. Um, and so I was, I watched that recently and was struck with 
you've got uh, at least in the, in the in terms of Eugene Peterson, there was Peterson was interviewed a few times, and you get video footage of of Peterson who was the first one to tell this aspiring scholar, you should, you need to go take a parish. You need to go pastor somewhere and uh, slow down and just get to know people in a place. And I was, I was struck with, you know, will we ever have someone like Eugene Peterson again? Like, at least in America, will we ever have someone who, uh, even someone like Tim Keller, who was not famous until he was in his fifties, who wasn't, who wasn't, um, had no platform uh, until he was presumably more mature than a 30 year old Mark Triscoll. Um, You know, will I, I, I got actually pretty sad. I, why am I so sad? I got pretty sad. (laughs) This feels like it's turning into like a therapy session. Counselor. (laughs) Why am I so sad? Why am I never happy? (laughs) (laughs) If I just had a little more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I wonder, and maybe I'll ask that question. Will we, is it, have we um, jumped the shark, so to speak, in terms of uh, what I mean by that is, uh, okay, jump, <laughs> jumping the shark would be um, in happy days when, when Fonz jumps the shark and that's when, you know, ratings was down and they had to resort to some kind of stunt, stunt to try to keep viewers. And uh, it was a sign that, it's, it's all over. going downhill yeah. from here. It's over. It's over. And in, in terms of faithful than forgotten, um, c- can we really raise up faithful men and women to lead in the church if uh, they're, they're pressure to be platformed, to be known outside of your immediate kind of place is so high. It's so high, isn't it? What do you guys think? Am I just being a doomsday guy? Am I just sad? You know, I'm I'm a pretty optimistic person, so Help my power. hope. <laughs> this is why you're I, here. I feel I feel hopeful, but I also feel like maybe that um, is a bit me with my blinders on because, you know, I think for myself and truly like a lot of people in my immediate community, I think are recognizing this. I think we're all recognizing this and, you know, maybe, maybe this podcast will, you know, I pray will, um, will do this. Like we'll, we'll be a cautionary tale of, of recognizing how damaging our um, focus on platform and, influencer type of messaging and all of that can be um you know and and i just i pray we're turning from that but i don't i don't think we are i think maybe i i don't see it as much because i'm not really you know on social media or any of that because i i i saw that in myself of where i was looking for wisdom you know and so it, it terrifies me to be honest like on the other side of my optimism it makes me very anxious especially then for the next generations to come um yeah so i I started optimistic and then i ended terrified (laughs) that didn't um reassure me at all but but i do think you're right to a certain degree i mean you know yeah so reese help us out here what do you think about uh how how can you be faithful than forgotten if the pressure to be known to the whole world is so strong. 
One of the things I think COVID has taught us, at least in Australia, is to value the local again. When yeah. teachers weren't able to meet, when people kind of saw their immediate relationships on their street in their neighbourhood is more important. That's valuable. I think, at least in my Anglican world, where you have a parish system, every neighbourhood has a, an Anglican church in it. You, you're not scrambling for territory. You're given territory, as it were. So that might help a little bit in the Australian context. Uh, but the other thing is, it's a, it's a basic question of spirituality, where we so easily look for our identity in those public settings, whereas actually my identity is built around my daily time with the Lord. And that needs to be, it's not that it's always easy or without its own challenges, but surely seeing my audience of one and enjoying celebrating my relationship with the Lord has to be in some sense part of the solution to seeing the acclaim or feeling included because you have a platform. I think there are fewer platforms anyway in Australia, so I don't think we, we have the same dimensions perhaps not the same pressures you know to the same degree i um when i think about our own work with the bonhoeffer house and uh uh and the the leaders that we are hoping to form you know we're forming future leaders in and for the church i do think it's going to take a kind of um you know courageous uh embrace of uh, being looked at like not 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 by the so this is the thing within the uh, kind of American Christian world that, that has always been odd to me. I, I've always felt like a bit of an outsider. I grew up Roman Catholic, came into the kind of uh, American evangelical complex a little bit later, and I always thought it was a bit odd that the the posture towards the world of um, like oh they're out to get us you know and and that wasn't grow, growing up for me that was never really a thing like the mm -hmm. world's out to get us. Um, I tend to think more in terms of we may have to be embrace being ridiculed by uh, by our own kind of intramurally for not platforming, for not seeking to get our name out there, for not um, trying to you know get get a book deal or uh, or self promote. Like I I think I think that that the the kingdom of God is subversively upside down. And um, what we see with the kind of platforming charismatic leaders with the platform outpaces character is a, a mimicry of what, uh, what the kingdom of this earth does. And I think, I think we really need to embrace the way of Jesus and, uh, and not, and not promote and basically in secrecy mm -hmm. and practicing mm -hmm. hiddenness. And maybe, just maybe. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, there's just going to be big, you know, metaverse churches, metaverse churches, meta church with big platforms. Anyway, I'm. I'm let's move on. Uh, what kind of warnings should? Uh, and we'll we'll wrap up here in a few. What warnings should church members or church leaders heed from this story? So when we think about like church members. Um, and you're evaluating churches and, and maybe you move to a new place and you're trying to figure out where do I want to belong? 
uh, or church leaders as you as you have a, a role as church leaders have a role in setting the culture and setting up the systems that uh, what kind of warnings might we want to give them from this rise and fall story I can start um yes. I I think that <clears throat> just to be aware of the temptation um, to follow a church leader or you know a ministry leader for college students to follow them above following Jesus and um, yeah to understand to learn to value growing and learning in your own theology and in your own personal relationships with the Lord individually between you and the Lord between um, a trusted mentor in close community with accountability rather than blindly ascribing to um, to the theology of a leader um, based on their popularity or um, their platform, I guess. And then the other thing that, that really Can I jump in on that, Holly? Do you mind yeah, if please, I, yeah, please. I'd no, like to double down on that. I'd like to put an exclamation point on that to say, uh, you know, there's been so many, so many people, more than more than I can ever remember in the last few years, who have expressed really deep frustration with me or with mm -hmm. our church um, based on following a famous person that they don't know and doesn't know them. Um, so just I'll I'll name names, uh, not the people that, <laughs> but but. <you> know, <laughs> Um, whether it's, uh, John MacArthur or Doug Wilson or Vody Bauckham or Jamar Tisby, or like there, there, there are people. And so and you notice I, I didn't get, uh, it wasn't e equal, but I try to get both sides of some of the debates. Right. And I'm just, it's like, I have to scratch my head and like, they don't, they're not your pastor. Like right. they don't know you. Right. They're, they don't care what you do, except for that you listen to their stuff and buy their books um, because they don't know you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they don't care about you. I'm just saying they don't care about you right? because they don't know you. And, and so, so I'd love to double down on that to say uh, not just you and Jesus and make sure your, your allegiance is first to Jesus, but also, um, you know, it might be, might be an encouragement to embrace this. This would be for a church member to embrace the, the less charismatic and less talented uh, leadership in your own local church who knows you and cares about you, uh, even if they don't get everything right or, uh, or, or theolo you know, yeah. So being known in a particular place by particular people. And if that place is a safe place for you to, to follow Jesus and then, then don't, you know, don't seek after a celebrity pastor. Keep going. Yeah. And then I guess on the, on the um, side of that, when, you know, if the spirit stirs in you not to be passive, um, you know, there were a lot of people who we heard speak in the podcast who weren't passive and they had to fall for it um, in a good way, in a, in a worthy, eternally, a, in a kingdom. Um, yeah, yeah, just a good way. But I think it was in the Ringo episode, uh, you know, the Bible Ringo, whatever that one was called, um, you know, and this kind of feeds into church leadership too. So um, we can go back to church members, but when um, 
Driscoll's executive assistant um, spoke to at a dinner party to her peers and they asked, you know, what could be helpful to Driscoll and and she essentially just said that wise counsel, wise older counsel to go toe to toe with him um, would be helpful. And then she was punished for that. She got uh, accused of heresy. She's a her- heresy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and he even brought it up in a later sermon really fired. aggressively. Yeah. Did she get fired? She got fired. She was called a heretic, got yep. fired, and then okay, you know, they stayed at the church, and then they and then so, he and then, sub, subtweeted her from the sermon yep. without without yep. actually saying her name. Yep. Yeah, and she walked out right then. Good for her. <laughs> but um, you know, the, there's a lot that goes into that story for me. Um, that that was oh, that was probably one of the harder stories to listen to. There was a lot of hard stories to listen to, but just the um the hope and desire, which I'm so, I'm so grateful for, um, in, in my church leaders of like humility and being willing to, um, listen to the counsel of those around you, um, integrity and all of that. So, yeah, I guess that whole point going back to this woman, she deemed it worth it to say, what she believed and not be passive about, you know, Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like she, she just bluntly stated that. And so I guess that for church members um, to not be passive, if something does stir in you that you feel a need to speak into because the same spirit is alive in you. So. Good. Reese, Michael, Michael. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think the thing that I kept coming back to as I listened through this um, is the importance of confession and repentance. And that's right. You you know, I'll tell a story. Michael and I were arguing um, about uh, how I was saying, you know, there's a way that this same podcast could have been made about me. Um, there are people who, who may feel this way, you know, uh, about, about me and about Valley Bible church. And, um, and he just was, he just said, no, that's not true because you have repented of your sin publicly and privately. And I was like, can you tell everyone that (laughs) (laughs) and stay humble? No, but I mean, you know, that, 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 that is a big difference that, um, it's hard to be in, it's hard to be a leader in any organization and not, and do, you can't do everything right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you, you really have to be able to say, and not just like, a, you know, things were, things were done. Sorry, you got hurt. Sorry, you got hurt, (laughs) but, um, I'm sorry for what I did to you and how it affected you. Right. And then demonstrate repentance. I think that's right. Yeah, so I think, um, I, yeah, I don't know how much warning that is. Just, I guess, for both members and leaders, uh, know your, know your pastors, know know your leaders, uh, even, even know your own, yourself, your your family well enough to 
to see demonstrated uh, value of, of con- I mean, in just the historical Christian practice of confessing your sins one to another, um, seeking forgiveness and, and uh, restoration from your brother or sister in Christ, um, the humility out of your leaders to be able to do that, um, the value of it within, within the church. Um, I, I think beyond that, I don't, I don't quite have the words to know how to put this in, into like a warning to the church, but, but I'm haunted by Cosper's question of why, why do we keep platforming, uh, leaders whose whose charisma outpaces their character and so i guess a warning to the church would would be something along the lines of uh don't adopt the mindset that we've been discussing of uh we we need to establish whether it's our legacy or or another that i think has kind of crept in is is we we need to win (laughs) like christians Christians need to win, whether it's win in, in cultural prominence or cultural power, um, or win in just our own sense of like, look at, look at our movement, look at how successful, um, we are. I I think, I think a warning for us to heed would be both Reese, your, your motto faithful and then forgotten. Um, I think that was my motto. (laughs) (laughs) Um, or, or even, uh, yeah, G- God is, God is faithful and, and even sometimes most at work in things that look like defeat, um, that, you know, that's certainly the case with the cross of Christ. Um, and so we don't have to, we don't have to adopt this ends justify the means posture, mm. Um, uh, or, or this win at all cost posture, because that's not how God works. Um, so yeah, good, good. Go ahead. Learning to be good losers. That's, th- that might be my second motto of the day. <laughs> Learning how I, to be good. I losers. won't, I won't. Stay <laughs> <that one. laughs> that is. We don't. We don't have to win the culture wars. Yeah. We don't have to. We don't have to win politics. We don't have to win government. We. We. That's not our primary calling. Yeah. It's like I always say. We got to learn to be good losers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll I'll throw a few warnings out for church members. Um, one, we we've been touching on this, but I think when you are, when you are looking at and evaluating your church leadership, or where you're going, you're moving somewhere. You're looking at churches. Um, I think it, you would do well to uh, to consider that when we see New Testament qualifications for leaders, deacons and elders in the in the local church, they're almost entirely character related and, and relationship based. Very very few of those qualifications are based on charisma or uh, uh, teaching or preaching ability, and so. So I think it's worth, I think it's worth looking around and not just asking, who's drawing the biggest crowd or who's the most engaging or entertaining preacher, but um, 
but who is who who's living the kind of life not just on display at a distance but uh, among among God's people that uh that's virtuous um and that was Paul's argument with the Corinthians. They were going after the super apostles, and he kind of tries at the end of two Corinthians to correct their wrong views of leaders. That's right. That's right. I didn't. It, yep. Yep. So uh, another warning is: um, be careful not to assume every leader in the local church is like Mark Driscoll. <laughs> so I think um, I think you know there's a there's a tendency to to kind of uh, project from Driscoll onto any. You know any kind of uh, authority, and I, I just would say uh, not to not to not to discount what Holly was saying. I'm, I'm a, I agree with you, Holly, about trusting trusting the Spirit to help you see something and say something when there's when it's unhealthy, when it when it needs to be called out and rejected. But um, yeah, just not every not every leader is is Mark Driscoll. Um. Some warnings for church leaders I'll throw out there. One is, you know, one of the things in training future leaders and uh, and being around kind of the seminary world, being around a lot of pastors, um, I am I am sometimes shocked at how some of my fellow pastors, none of the ones who are listening to this, because you're all the good guys, <laughs> all you guys out there are the good guys, but but some of some they just don't care at all about uh, holiness. About um, it's almost a badge of honor to be more and more like the world than to be uh, than to honor God. Hmm. And I think uh, we see we see that when we look at Driscoll from the beginning. I mean, even even the first time I ever heard about Mark Driscoll was Blue Like Jazz, the cussing pastor. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think worldliness is a badge of honor. So, uh, so I think, I think, you know, apprenticing to Jesus and, um, taking the time to practice spiritual disciplines. Another, another thing, another warning for church leaders, and this is, this is a, a short story of, uh, a really formative thing that happened in my life. I was with one of my own mentors, Pete Shim, in a group of pastors. And, you know, sometimes pastors, when they get together, they, they like to, um, have a proper uh, complaining fest about their church members. And so for like an hour, they were, as a matter of fact, Reese, you might've even been there because it was, this was one of the the settings where I first met you. It was one of these reading groups we were in with a bunch of other pastors and church leaders on and on and on and on and on. People talked about, you know, them, these people, them, them, them. And, uh, Pete didn't say anything for the whole, and I, I usually didn't say anything because I was like the junior member of the group. Nobody cared what I had to say, but <laughs> someone turned to Pete and said, you know, uh, Pete, you you've been real quiet. What do you think? And he took like a five to 10 second pause and then said, you know, I'm trying to learn the lesson that there is no us and them in my, in my church. Um, and then that was it. <laughs> wow. And it was like, I mean, you know, the air went out of the room. Mm. And of course, in Pete's church, as in all of our churches, there are, there is fighting. There is, you know, right. there is the temptation to go, if I could just get rid of those people. Right. If I could just get those people off the bus, I'd run them over, <laughs> throw it in reverse, run them over again and get out. I mean, that's the temptation. Right. 
but to remember that um, that the mission is not use people to either advance my agenda or even God's agenda, as if God's agenda wasn't right the salvation and and good good for people right. And so I think I think that would be a warning that um, there there aren't an us and them in our church. There's not we don't have enemies that we have to vanquish and get off the bus and run them over. Mm. Any other warnings, guys? Uh, let's close this conversation out, guys. How, let me ask one more one more provocative question. This is related to the media itself. Is the rise and fall of Mars Hill good for us? Aren't we going to have like a hundred more of these next year? We are, aren't we? I mean, it's so well done. There's going to be there's going to be a bunch of people it's trying to do this. The new true crime. It's the new serial podcast. Should we be listening to this and other podcasts like it? What kind of people are we? Now, this is a question that I think is worth asking, not just about this, but what kind of people are we becoming as we listen? What what is what are podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill forming us into? Is this just celebrity gossip like church tabloid papers? Is it just failure porn? Or is there real value in slowing down to listen, to consider these stories? Obviously, we think there is because we're doing this podcast about it. Um, but I, I do think it's worth asking. How do we make sure that we're not listening in ways that are malformative? Yeah, I think I think the last question is is the right one. I, you know, my, if I ask enough, one of them is the right question. <laughs> right. Because do, doesn't, I mean, I guess not, it's not entirely dependent on your posture coming in. Um, but isn't so much of it dependent on that? Um, like if I, if I am, if I'm coming into this podcast looking for reasons to leave the church or, or looking for reasons to criticize, evangelicalism or, or, you know, whatever the, or on the flip side, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, lessons to learn or, uh, or things to take away to, uh, help grow my, my faith or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm just repackaging and asking the question back to y'all. Doesn't so much of our, uh, so much of it, the answer to your question depend on my posture coming in. Yes, and it's long-form journalism. He's not tweeting in one sentence the content of each episode. He's actually trying to extend the conversation to explore different angles, and there's something a little bit healthier about that. Um, you're right. It could be that you, you listen in just because... But it's you... not just like a YouTube video of a car crash. No. Yeah. It's long-form journalism. It's, Correct. He's, yeah. he's really trying to get to the bottom of things. And what we might argue whether he has or not or whether there's been a bias in the story in the meantime. But at least the the goal was something more than just a tweet. Mm. That's a good word. Holly, anything to add there? No, I, complete, I completely agree. I think it's, it's about um, recognizing what what we're coming into it looking for. Um, are we looking for, you know, like waited, waiting to see his next flaw? Or are we um, looking to see how we can grow from it? And, you know, he asked so many open-ended questions too that he doesn't answer. Like we've talked about in this conversation, you know, inviting us to have, um, have those answers ourselves um, 
in community and encouraging, you know, dialogue like this. That's excellent. That, that aspect of it, that's provocative, that invites us into the, into the evaluation of it. I, you know, I do admit that part of my own frustration with the podcast does come from just, I want someone to spoon feed me when I'm supposed to think about it. (laughs) Like just, you just tell me what to think. And, and, uh, and, and it, in contrast to that, the, the the journalistic take here is inviting us to participate in making meaning of this, and I think that's better mm. than a you know newspaper tabloid about church leaders. You know, I was thinking about how when you learn to drive, uh, have you ever taken like a well? Okay, so full disclosure, <laughs> I took a I took a driving class. Um, not when I learned to, well, I did when I learned to drive, but also when I had a few tickets that I wanted to get expunged yeah. from my, uh, yeah. from my, um, from my record. And they showed this painfully old video, but it, it, it had car crashes and then it had demonstrations of like how to, how to, you know, adjust when things are coming. What the one, one memory I have about it is the guy honked his horn so much. Oh, friendly, friendly little two to the horn there. So it was like, this guy's driving around and in, in three minutes, he honked the horn like a hundred times. And I was like, this is not good driving. You need to find a new video. But, um, but there's, there's, there's benefit when you're learning to seeing these are the consequences if you go off course. Right. This is what happens if you're irresponsible. And sometimes you have to see a car crash to really understand, I don't want to, to do that. I want to make sure that I... You know, I drive in a responsible way and I respect the way that this is set up and the way that I, I respect the, the order of this. And so I think in that way, it is helpful if we're not, you know, th- there's a way to, th- to just like binge YouTube videos of car crashes. And that's not the way to, right. That's not the way to do it. The other, the other thing I'd add is, um, I think what Cosper is doing in, in telling this story in, telling it in a, in a long form journalistic way is giving, giving another side to the story to uh, people who weren't necessarily at the, at the center of, of power in the church. So, you know, Driscoll got his opportunity to share his narrative of what happened. Um, and that's, that's brought out in the final episodes of the podcast. Um, but many, many of the members and, and leaders in the church didn't get that same opportunity. And so for, for many of the people who were reached by Mars Hill and by Driscoll, the, the narrative that they get of the, of the rise and fall of Mars Hill is what Driscoll portrays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what Cosper is forcing people like me to do is to reckon with what what happened, um, not just the narrative that Mark Driscoll shared, um, but the the fuller picture. Um, you know, m- maybe not the whole story. You know, if there's a balance uh, between the between the stories, but but reckon with a fuller a fuller story, um, and reckon with some of the unresolved and painful parts that I don't otherwise wouldn't ever choose to reckon with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that's worth really worthwhile. Um, 
and then, and then coming back kind of full circle to something we talked about all the way at the beginning of, of our time, our conversation together. I just, I think it's massively, massively important to, to wrestle with what do we do with God working good through really difficult and, and painful and, and even uh, damaging, wounding circumstances and, and people. Um, I, I think, I think that's a question that we eventually all have to deal with. And so I think being able to start asking that question before it's, you know, mm-hmm. really close, um, and, and personal to you, uh, I, I have hope that that will benefit, um, some, some Christian listeners who maybe haven't had a personal story of deep hurt or deep personal wounding by someone that they have heard truth about who God is from. Um, if, if that makes sense. It does make sense. You know, it makes me think about, um, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the Twitter wars that happen over, over pastors glibly dismissing deconstruction. You can't deconstruct if you've really come to know Jesus. And I personally am not, a, I, I would never, I would never want to, I, I want to be someone who says, Hey, let's reform. I think there's other ways to think about what people are doing when they're, when they're deconstructing. Um, but I think listening to this podcast should at least allow for church leaders to go, you know, I understand where someone is, is so hurt by a church, so hurt by systems that have paraded as Christian, but really we're not Christian. We're smuggled in, uh, that needing to disentangle and, you know, so I do think it can help us to, to really understand with compassion, uh, if even those of us who haven't maybe had experiences like, uh, folks at, that, that were interviewed in the podcast that were in toxic um, experiences to, you know, why it is that it's so hard for them to come back to church, why it is that they, they've left the church. Um, so I think that's good. You know, I found myself, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let Reese have the final word, but um, so Reese, I'd love for you to think about any final words you'd want to share with our listeners. Um, you have, you'll have an opportunity now to speak. We have literally dozens of people listening to this. <laughs> And, uh, and so we'd love for you to have a kind of final way to encourage, challenge, um, exhort our listeners, but I wish we could talk about so much more. There's so much more. I, 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 um, I love to talk about gender and sexuality and, um, you know, whether or not, uh, the, the take on that, that we got in the rise and fall was, was fair and, um, and, and. And really, I'd love to have a whole episode about how can we, in the local church, uh, demonstrate something beautiful with, in regards to men and women and families and single people um, uh, incorporated, webbed together in relationship in ways that people are um, serving God and others in beautiful ways. I'd love to talk about, um, man, if, I love... I love, you know, if, if Cosper listened to this, I'd love to, to be able to talk about, um, uh, you know, even down to like part of, part of what I think is malformative is that kind of frenzied, like, show us more, we want to see more. And I think the release schedule contributed to that. Hmm. The fact that it was being built as we were listening 
people were, went I mean, I kind of went crazy at times, like I got to know what's next. And so, so I'd love to see something like this done in a way where we just know every two weeks is coming out or every week is coming out. So there's not three weeks out and people are just going nuts because it, it, it seems to stir up that, that rubbernecking, I want to see the car accident mm. in us. Um, I'd love to talk about it at some point. And we'll pick this up maybe in our own podcast. Uh, selling commercials and asking for subscribers in a podcast that's critiquing commercialism and power and platforming just felt a little... Mm. I'm not sure what to do with that. I felt a little bit off about it. Like, mm. you know, I got to hear a commercial, of, you know, I don't know, but I'm, I'm the cynic here. So <laughs> let's close this thing. Reese, any final words you want to share with our listeners? The local church might not be terribly attractive sometimes, but it is still the pillar and bulwark of the truth. And, we can plug in our headphones and listen to some guy from the other side of the world preaching a sermon, but that's not the local church. And it's not, we could get rid of all podcasts, um, nothing personal, but we can't get rid of the local church. Mm. Uh, and the predictable patterns in the local church are really healthy for our soul. Uh, and we need to relearn the value of the local church, I think. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you to Reese Bizant for joining us in this long conversation. Mm. We'll be interviewing Reese for our mini series on the future of theological training soon. You'll hear from him again. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in and staying tuned in to our this our bonus episode of Conversation on the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Hey, please subscribe. Review us on iTunes. Throw some five-star reviews our way. Send any questions or ideas you might have to info at bonhofferhouse.com and Michael will get to them. And that's house as in H-A-U-S. House. Until next time, friendos. Peace. Peace. I got more Peace. fire in my belly than I do. I'm happy as a clam and I think you forgot to. Tell me where my enemies are because when I look around and know what to be found. I guess they're counting down every single hour to the minute to the second. They have me second guessing if they even present. If they ever step up to me, I'ma give them all a gift. I'll say sorry in advance and I'll go and plead the fifth. And I don't need a fifth to hit the top of your wish list. Every time I pivot, I'ma leave your ankles twisted. Listen, I'm not I'm feeling listless, this, that, bliss, bliss I don't feel indifferent, already left the runway And I barely had assistance Went to my back, let the jokers react And the higher powers laughing with me They don't know what happened Up so high that your size is a fraction And what goes up must come down But now I'm really feeling like that paradigm shifted The feeling is addictive Anti-gravity, I pray it's never lifted And when I hit the top, it takes my booty that you're kissing Listen, skip the clips I'm on a list, everything is going on without a hitch. Skip the clips, I'm on a list, everything is going on without a hitch. Skip the clips, I'm on a list, everything is going on without a hitch. Skip the clips, I'm on a list.